This is episode 603 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with Fernando Aguirre of TheModernSurvivalist.com. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today on this episode. This is a packed episode. There's so much great stuff. Now, before we get to the episode, I just want to say one thing. I did receive a review from Amy over at iTunes. She left a five-star review and she said, I've been listening for a while and I love this podcast. It provides valuable information regarding preparedness. I also enjoy the website. Thanks for all you do. Well, Amy, thanks for leaving that review on iTunes. It makes uh, it always brings a smile to my face and it just it is a joy to see those come through. And so I really do appreciate it. And anyone else who is listening, if you find value in what you hear on the podcast, I'd love for you to leave a five-star review or a favorable review on iTunes or really anywhere that you listen to the podcast. And we're on all the podcast networks. So that's always a blessing when those come in. It just really, it it really keeps my spirits up. And I know that that shouldn't be the driving factor. And it's not the driving factor, but it is like, you know, whipped cream on top, right? Icing on the cake when I get to see those types of uh, reviews come through. So Amy, thanks so much for doing that. And guys, uh, you can always go over to iTunes and leave a review there. Let's go ahead and move into the rest of this episode because you know, you can see from the amount of time, it's going to be a long one. Fernando and I talked for an hour and a half, and that was just the actual episode that was recorded. We talked a long time after that, and it was just really good. I've been wanting to talk with him for a very, very long time, and we talk a lot. I mean, there's just a lot of great stuff here. So I'm going to stop yapping, and I'm going to jump in right into this interview with Fernando Aguirre of TheModernSurvivalist.com. Hey, Fernando, thank you so much for being on the Prepper Website podcast. Uh, we appreciate that you are here talking to us. Todd, it is fantastic being here talking with you and looking forward to it. <laughs> we have, oh, I have talked about you very uh, often on the podcast. Um, you do a lot of videos, so I don't necessarily talk a, a lot about your articles, but uh, I talk about your books and I've talked about you know your experiences because I've listened to your videos and things like that. But for those who might be new to the podcast, can you share with us a little bit about how you started in the preparedness space? Sure. I always had a little bit of an interest in, in survival and more of a, the, the wilderness type of stuff, the bushcraft and camping sort of thing. Um, and the thing is, later on in, in life, as, uh, as I started growing older, especially when we saw what happened in Argentina, uh, where uh, things it got pretty bad in 2001 when the, when the country went through a, an economic crisis and a, and, a, and a pretty much social political collapse as well. Uh, that was the moment in which I realized that many of those things that I believe were related to survival, which they are to some aspect of it, did not really apply to that kind of, of situation. So 
I started learning along the way and adapting and, and seeing what worked and what didn't. And that's how I, I started making more content and ended up writing my first book, the Modern Survival Manual, based on, on that experience. Well, and one of the things that I, I like about your approach to preparedness is that you really come from a, a, a practical standpoint. You know, there's a lot of sensational uh, aspects of, of prepping, right? You got people that are always prepping for the EMP type stuff. And, and really, when I run uh, the articles on Prepper website and even podcast episodes, I know the ones that will get a lot of attention. People want to hear about EMPs. They want to hear about bug out bags and different things like that. But, you know, coming from the more practical side of it, can you speak a little bit to the dangers of always looking for the big polar shift, the big, you know, SHTF event versus the types of things that we should be concerned about every single day? Right. So the, the thing is this, you, you really should be preparing for things that are very much likely or pretty much unavoidable facts of life, like getting old, getting sick, having problems at, at your, your work, your job. Um, you know, trying to stay fit and healthy. These are things that will happen to you no matter what. And then you have events that are a little bit more, more likely in terms of traditional preparedness, such as a natural disaster, especially depending on where you live. But uh, hurricane season, storms, um, these are things that are pretty much um, expected every year, every season. And of course, more, more, um, more extreme things, they may end up happening, but are so so much more unlikely that you have to put those in context compared to how um, likely you are to be affected by those that are pretty much uh, unavoidable. So if these have the, the possibility of having a, a very large impact in your life, you most definitely should prepare for them. I, I don't see a problem with that. But never overlooking those things are far more likely to happen. One of the things I like to ask myself whenever I'm looking at a possible scenario is, has it ever, has this ever happened before ever somewhere? If it never happened before in the history of mankind, then I'm, I'm not really worrying a, a whole lot. Uh, you're mentioning EMPs, so, so solar flares, sure, these type of things could possibly happen. They have happened before. The impact that has happened when, when they occurred was, was not uh, terribly drastic, even though they could be. So I do put them in context and, and take them into account as well. You know, same thing for, for an earthquake. Now, if you're thinking of, of earthquake possibilities, there's places in which these are unavoidable uh, in certain regions. For example, in Chile, in the west coast of the United States, they're pretty much just waiting for that sort of thing. More uh, far-fetched scenarios like a nuclear war, could it happen? Sure, how likely is it? Not that much. So. Uh, putting all that in, into context is, is pretty important. And one of the things I notice happens is there's this fatigue. If you're always waiting for the end of the world, which likely will never come because the world doesn't seem to end all that much, just gets worse in many aspects, then there's this fatigue of, okay, uh, Y2K did not happen, this did not happen. So when those events go down, you're thinking you prepared for nothing. And that's really not the attitude you should have about survival and preparedness. Yeah, I, I remember reading uh, a comment from someone that was, and this was a woman who was, you know, who was responding back to someone who was always talking about, you know, hey, this is this could be the big one, right? And she was like, hey, you know, I I purchased food because of this, and nothing has ever happened. 
you know, come on, what, what's, what, did I waste my money? Did I waste my, my, uh, did I waste all this food? And you want to go back and like, man, you're starting from the, the wrong standpoint, right? The emergencies happen every single day. And, you know, we should be more apt to, to think about the ones that can affect us and our families. So I, I, I appreciate your, the practical preparedness standpoint. I just wish more people would get that. I mean, how can we help people? Like, you know, I, I run Prepper website. I do, I do the podcast. In your experience, how can we help people move away from that, uh, that mindset? I mean, what, have you ever talked to someone maybe that you've helped them to, to change their mindset on that? Well, yeah, it's pretty often that I get emails from people that are thanking me for, for the advice that I put out there. Many folks that contacted me about things that they ended up doing because they, they followed the advice I was, I was putting out there and it made a difference in their lives. And that's pretty encouraging. It makes you feel fantastic. Now, for example, with this lady you're mentioning, that, that's very common. They're, I have this supply of food because the world is going to be ending. Now, if you're going to be thinking of it in a more practical manner, maybe you have two months, three months, whatever amount of food you have, and you're, you're actually consuming that. You're rotating that because that's part of your life. For example, in my case, uh, the food I have is, is, a, is a food I eat. We eat uh, rice, canned uh, vegetables, and lentils, those sort of things. We eat those every time. Nothing goes to waste here. And I'm, not, I'm, the, last, I'm the worst a prepper survivalist in terms of uh, you know gardening and food and all that. I, I'm pretty basic in that stuff because I, I'm it, it's just not my thing. But I, I can put a, a stew together relatively easily, and that's <laughs> the kind of thing we eat in our house pretty pretty much every day. So uh, it's well the, the good old eat what you store, store what you eat. It just makes a whole lot of sense. And one of the other things is. This has to be more of a, of a way of life, not something that you're doing preparing for the end of the world because, as we were saying before, the, the world just does not end. It just gets more complicated at times. And sometimes you have serious uh, emergencies. Sometimes you have serious disasters. Sometimes it's more of a personal disaster because you lost your job and you don't have money and you have to dig into those savings that you have. You have to sell some of those precious metals, eat some of that food you have stored, and it's just affecting you. And of course, then of course, you have the, the flaws, you have natural disasters, you have fires. But one of the things I come across a lot is I'm already living in my bug out house, in my bug out location. And the first thing I, I explain to them is you can never do that because your bug out location is where you go when the place you are in right now is no longer viable. And this perfectly relates to what happened in Oregon with, with those fires. And up in the mountains, these folks living in their nice cabins, they were they already bugged out. And all of a sudden, fire, they have to leave again. And that was not in their plan. They, it just didn't adjust to their, um, the, the way they thought things should go down, you know? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. There's always, there's got to be plans put in place. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So let, let's talk, you know, staying with this practical preparedness aspect of it. You know, we have extremes, like when we talk about economic collapse, and we have the books out there that, you know, the, the prepper fiction, the dystopian novels that talk about collapse, and then all of a yeah. sudden, everything, everything goes, right, really, really quick. But you really went through an economic collapse, the, the collapse in Argentina in, 2000, in the early 2000s. Can you share with us what it was like? And, uh, you know, versus what many preppers believe an economic collapse is going to be. 
yes, the, the, the typical fantasy of everything's going to be going down to hell, but it always goes down to hell in a very convenient manner, and everyone is, everything turns out just as planned, and no one gets hurt, and everything is just fine. Um, you, you have great examples. I mean, you have Venezuela right now, what, uh, showing you how, how it, it actually looks. What uh, we saw in Argentina in 2001 was that the country was just uh, submerged in, in awful debt. It ended up defaulting on its national debt of $132 billion. And the, the, the president ended up resigning, leaving in a chopper, abandoning the, the presidential palace. Uh, no one wanted to be president of the country at that, mo at that time. Uh, martial law was declared. And there was looting on the streets. Uh, it, was, it was pretty chaotic. Um, now, at the same time, life just went on, right? you know, maybe a couple of days, but after that, everyone went, you still had to show up to your job, you still had to show up to work, even though the money you were being paid, I mean, you knew perfectly well that at the end of the month, you would be paying, you would be getting paid something that would be worth maybe 30% of, of what it used to be just a few days ago. You still had to go to class if you were in college or in school. So life just went on. It just went on in a more horrible manner. Uh, I, I've lost count of how many roadblocks and uh, rioting things that I've come across or even being in supermarkets just as they started to get looted just around me and you just took off and left. That was life for me for a long time. Uh, but it, it just it doesn't happen like in the movies. Everything just continues just worse than before. It's very frustrating to just pick up something you, you need to buy and all of a sudden the price went up three, four, five times more. Just imagine, just imagine life as you know it right now, but the price adding a zero to those prices. How would that affect you? It's not fancy, it's not worthy of any Hollywood movie, but it's, it's quite terrible on its own. Okay, so, but you did say that there were riots. There are things that, that, you know, would happen that normally didn't happen when things were good in Argentina. Sure, yes. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that's more flashy that gets spread by the by the news. You know, the the cars being burned and shops being looting and that sort of thing. That's more visual, but it doesn't really have all that much impact in your life. I mean, it could. I had a swarm of looters just go past our house, and they could have easily started going for houses as well. I know that it. At first, this wasn't as well known, but later on, we, we learned that some houses were attacked and looted, especially if they were empty. You know, one of the things you hear about, again, the difference between fiction and reality is blackout. Pretend no one is there. No, don't let any bit of light sip through the windows. Pretend no one's home. That's actually a terrible idea. You want to make sure everyone knows that you're home, you're armed, and you're serious about defending your house. And they're going to be looking for something easier to go after. So that can be quite dangerous, and you need to prepare for that as well. That's where all the guns and body armor and all that, that fun stuff starts getting, getting involved. And there's a lot of, of tension, not, not a lot of bullets flying all around, but it's, it, it's quite scary to be in that position. Sure, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So looking back at that time, who survived that economic time really well like who who was ready in your estimation well it was most of all about people that could adapt and a lot of, of folks could not keep in mind that this had a huge impact in terms of a lot of the middle class suddenly becoming poor 
And those that were already poor, struggling, just went down even further. So those that learn, you know, you're no longer a manager of this company. You're not, you're no longer making, you know, those, those, those a hundred thousand bucks a year anymore. You have to adjust to this or you got fired. There's a lot of people that never thought they'd ever get fired in their life because they've been in the same company for, for decades. And all of a sudden they were like, you know, I need a job. I need something because... And those that learn to adapt and roll with something else, start their own business, maybe, maybe change and reinvent themselves. There was there was a lot of that in terms of okay, I'm going to be changing my line of work completely. I was a manager in this in this company. I worked for this airline company. They are they're firing me now. I'm selling this soaps and oils and you know candles and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's. There's people that ended up doing well, actually, because they saw the different opportunities. People that started different businesses, replacing the structures that were falling. For example, a lot of people could no longer afford to drive their own vehicle to downtown because of fuel prices, because of the parking prices. So these little vans carrying people like Uber, you know, this was all pre-Uber Uber times. It was, all, it was all pre-Uber. Uber was pretty much a... Um, you know, a prophecy of this to happen because back in those days, someone just, the light bulb went up and without any app, they just started driving people back and forth and those became, became companies, you know. Um, uh, folks selling uh, cheap cell phones sometimes did very well. So there were different opportunities for those that swallowed. Okay, that's, that's really, you know, that's good, good to hear because I always say I believe that people should have multiple streams of income coming in. And I, yeah. I saw that how running Prepper website, I mean, I don't make a lot of money off of it, but there is a little bit, I get some ad money and I get some affiliate money from Amazon and things like that. And when it finally clicked with me, I realized, you know what, having this extra stream of income, having this, this thing here with Prepper website, which I'm helping people and that's really why I started it because I wanted to serve people and, and help them to get better prepared. But it also helped my family get better prepared because I didn't have to take money out of, and th these are good times, right? I didn't have to take money out of our family budget to prepare us and to, to buy the things that I felt we needed to be better prepared. So that's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people, I, I've been really trying to stress this with people here in the last year, maybe year and a half, but you know, we, we come home from our, our jobs and we sit down and we get in front of the, the television and yeah, maybe we've had a rough day. I mean, I, I think everybody has those rough days, but I don't, I don't watch TV anymore. I sit down and I, I'm doing something with the website. I'm doing something with the podcast. I'm, I'm thinking of other ways that, you know, I can help my family. And so I, I really like that idea that you were talking about because if we don't wait for that collapse, if we don't wait for the time that we have to have something, if we can start it now, how much better off will we be flexible when something like that, a collapse happens that we're able to move into the market like that? That is, it's great. That, that, that thing you're mentioning now, Todd, is it's fantastic because it's so true. And no matter what, forget about the end of the world, forget about, you know, but even when, when just things go bad on, on a personal level or on a, on a nation level, you know, maybe in the, the state things are not all that great, whatever happens, if you have multiple sources, if you have, 
you know, different uh, little uh, seeds planted here and there. Maybe you're not using it all that much, but all of a sudden you can uh, you can work more towards that. I'll just give you a personal example of mine. I I do most of my stuff in English, right? And one day I said, you know, I'm going to be starting this in Spanish as well. I started my my Spanish uh, YouTube uh, uh, survival thing, right? I had like three, four subscribers for months. Three or four subscribers. I'm, I'm not even joking. I didn't care. I mean, is, is it three people? That, that's fantastic. That's more than zero. That was my attitude. And now in the last couple of weeks, I went from 1,000 to I think like 3,000 subscribers. And, you know, sure, there's someone, there's some kid doing YouTube videos on, on video games that has 10 million. I, I don't care. Um, just be proud of what you're doing. Keep on working. Keep on finding little new things to do. Maybe it's a, a, a new trade that you start working on. Maybe, maybe you get involved in you know, welding or, or forging knives or whatever, whatever it is you like doing or gunsmithing. If you find something, uh, maybe you start printing a, a few business cards and you have just that, you know? But maybe when, when things get rough and you have to dig deeper into that or focus more on that, you already started somewhat of a business. So you're not starting from zero. Some people started from zero, did okay, but those that had already dipped this mentality of, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be working at it. I'm going to be doing different things. I'm going to be moving forward and staying positive. That is, that is key. Look, when, when things were terrible in Argentina, and I mean bad, as in 25% unemployment, but no joke, unemployment in a country where people really didn't did want to work. We're not talking about handouts. We're not talking about people living off the government. This was 25% unemployment in a country that was desperate any little job that showed up, it was, you know, blocks. That it was hundreds of yards of lines of people forming. In those days, I, in just two weeks, I got two job offers because of the attitude that I had. I just, I remember in one of those, they asked me about a, a software program for for architecture. You know, that was what I was doing back then. And they asked me, "Do you know this?" And I was honest. I said, "I have no, I have no idea, but you know what? I can figure it out." In just a few days, I'll figure it out and know how it works. And later on in the conversation, they told me that they were willing to hire me because of that, because of my attitude of, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to be getting it through it. I'm going to be sorting it out, and I'll know how to work it. So, that yeah, that is – so having that right attitude is so – I mean, that that's one thing that I'm – uh, I've been paying attention to not just in the preparedness space, but just in leadership and and what I do on a, on a daily basis. That that attitude is such an important aspect of it, and being flexible. So that was that was great. I mean, having two offers, man, that that's that's the thing. Uh, the, the famous can-do attitude. You know, <laughs> the, the, the famous can-do attitude. It really is important. I mean, if you're hiring someone, you want that person to be proactive and you. Know, give you solutions. That's basically why you're, you're, you're hiring them. And on a, on a personal level, if you're doing your own business, it also is important. So staying positive is key throughout. Great. That's awesome, man. All right. So let, let's continue on with uh, the collapse scenario aspect here, because I think there's some people that are concerned about the United States and where we are. You know, you talked about a lot of debt. I think you said 130 billion in Argentina. I mean, the United States has way, way, way more debt than that, you know, and yeah. you know, people are a little concerned. Every time the, 
the stock market dips, you know, the preparedness, you know, in Facebook groups and, and emails and you start seeing all that like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? So can you point to possibly, were there some triggers or some clear points in time that, that kind of told you that Argentina was headed for trouble and maybe an economic collapse? Well, in the case of, of Argentina, it was, of course, this, this massive debt. The difference with, with the United States is that this debt was, was government-created. <laughs> it was not debt on, on a personal level. People, people didn't have these huge mortgages or anything like that. This was on, on, a, on a country level. The country was borrowing money to, to get by, and it just couldn't repay it. But the, the huge debt was already one of the big tells, and this... Um, one-to-one -one exchange rate with, with the U.S. dollar, it was impossible to sustain. Then, of course, the unemployment that we were talking about, that was huge. The inflation was creeping, and that was another big tell as well. So everything was pointing as an, towards an unsustainable uh, type of economy, which a lot of folks in the United States, when, when I mention this, they, they think, okay, yeah, this is the same thing that's happening over here. And in many ways it is. I mean... You also have to look at it in terms of this slow slide because the United States is not the same country that was 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. The amount of people living in the streets today in the United States is just baffling. It's terrible. It's on the level of shanty towns that you see in South America. It didn't, it didn't used to be that way. And, and those are Americans. Those are people living that way in the United States. So for those people, has the end of the world happened? Probably, yeah, for those people, probably it did. Now, you, you have to take a step back and realize that things are changing and not in a good way. Um, the economy, it could sustain itself. It, it could go on, especially because the United States is in a, in, a, in a huge position of power. Now, to be completely honest, one of the things that worries me more about the United States is the political divide and the aggressiveness uh, that, again, didn't, was, was not always there. Just a few years ago, you would not get bashed over your, and I was talking with, with Jack Spirko about this the other day, just a few days, like, a few years ago, you would not get bashed over your head because of wearing a Republican hat or a Democrat hat. Today, you're wearing your MAGA hat and someone may actually kill you over it. There's people that are actually willing to do that sort of thing because in their minds, they are at war with those of a different political opinion. And that is very, very dangerous. Talking from personal experience, because I've seen this in Argentina, it is extremely dangerous and it's quite concerning. Did you, um, because of that, did you stay away from certain events or when there was political rallies or whatever? I mean, did you stay clear of those types of things in Argentina when, when you know, you saw this kind of stuff happening? Yes, yes. Uh, the, the answer is yes, most definitely. Because it's quite dangerous. Those are the places in which bad things usually tend to happen. I mean, I, I didn't have anyone to support in Argentina because it was uh, pretty much uh, these perilous, left-leaning governments that I, I'd never supported in my life. And the thing is this, for those politicians that I did believe had a, 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 I would like to support and would support with my vote, they didn't have this, uh, these huge rallies. You know, they, they, they just didn't have that manpower on the street because that's actually paid. Those things rarely happen out of thin air. Those are very well organized. But when you see these Antifa things going down, that's not accident. That's no accident. That's, uh, that's well organized events. And 
yes, it can definitely be quite dangerous. I mean, trying to translate into something that people in America would find useful. Would I go to an Antifa march and confront them from my right-leaning stance? I, I definitely would not. And this is a, a personal opinion. There's people that definitely feel different, and, and that's perfectly understandable. If you just have to go there and make your voice heard, that I honestly don't think it helps a lot. That's just my personal opinion, and yours may be different, and that's fantastic. I don't really help it help. I, I don't think it helps to confront with people like that. I have nothing to talk with an Antifa type of person. We're not on the same universe, even. You know, I can completely discuss and exchange ideas with someone that has a different, uh, you know, political stance. I cannot discuss with someone that is violent uh, towards those that think different. Yeah, I I agree with you there. And not only that, even if there was anytime there is confrontation on those, uh, you know, in those rallies, those those times with with uh, Antifa, uh, the media always spins it back, you know towards the, you know, the right leaning, yeah. they, they were pushing it, they were starting it, they were doing those types of things. So really, yeah, there's real, really no win-win there when, when you're talking about those types of things. No, and I was watching the other day that there was this in CNN, because you have to watch everything, you know, a lot of people will, will never watch CNN. Do yourself a favor and watch CNN and see what they are up to. There was the CNN report about they were interviewing an Antifa lady, the, the typical blue-haired, uh, very strange-looking, very confused type of person that you, you understand what I'm talking about. And she was pulling out uh, brass knuckles, a knife, and she said that she would attack people, hit people, and they were making all light jokes about it. Oh, that, oh that, that's nice. That, that little knife you have is purple, right? Yes, yes. I'm sure someone saw this, but... They were making lightly of someone that was being violent and had weapons, not for self-defense. She had weapons to use against people that think different from her. And this was being portrayed in CNN as a light-headed, fun little uh, article, you know? That, that's very dangerous. At least that's the way I see it. Yeah. I, I, I do agree with you. There are a lot of people concerned about where we're headed in, uh, in the, the elections that are coming up in the 2020 elections. Um, you know, I recently interviewed Daisy Luther of the Organic Prepper that came up. Um, I was listening to another another podcast. It's not even preparedness related, and th that came up as well uh, at that point too. So I think I think we're we're going to have to keep our eyes open. I always talk about being aware. Um, going back to the hey, you know, you've had a a rough day. You come home. You you know, have a rough day at work. You come home. You maybe grab a beer, grab some dinner. You sit down in front of your television, and you just veg out on some kind of sitcoms or whatever, and you're never paying attention to what is going on out there. I think that can be a dangerous dangerous thing. I think as those of us who believe in preparedness and, and self-reliance, that that's one of the things that we need to do is, is know what's going on out there. Yeah, and – I understand you shouldn't be obsessed over it because you can't let this take over your life. You know, if you're constantly looking at what's happening, uh, the media is out there to sell. You know, just <laughs> just like uh, all these corporations, they just want to make money. And the way they make money is with, with drama and very, you know, aggressive type of content. But every once in a while, you, you have to go out there and, and see uh, what's happening. You know, see the, the entire spectrum of, of media outlets from left to right, you know, 
understand where what you're watching, what you're consuming is coming from. So if you if you watch a, a left-leaning channel, understand why they're saying what they're saying, or a more centrist one or a right-leaning one, uh, what the uh, agenda is, who owns those different media groups that usually gives you a signal of the stance they're going to be taking and why that is, why they want to put out there a certain message. That's, that's pretty important. And then, of course, is staying aware as of uh, the reality around you. This is something that um, it goes back to awareness. Awareness it could extend from being on the street and seeing people with suspicious behavior, but awareness is also knowing what's happening in terms of news at a local level, on, on a national level, even on an international level. Like the stuff with Iran right now on the uh, and the Saudi Arabia oil thing. You know, those are things you should stay away and you know know what's going on, and and that allows you to prepare a little bit better. And in my case. Knowing how things would end up turning out allowed me to realize I had to get myself out of Argentina as fast as possible because it was going to be getting much worse fast. And that's exactly how it went down. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. One of the things that I do, and I've mentioned this before, is I use Twitter for that, exactly what you were talking about. So I follow, some people get mad at me because I don't follow them back, but I, I only follow news organizations on my Prepper website, Twitter account. And I, uh, yeah, I follow all of them from, you know, right leaning, left leaning. And it's very hard. I mean, to be honest with you, when I see a left leaning uh, news organization put out something and I'm seeing a little video or whatever, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I want to unfollow them. But at the same time, I got to remember, wait a minute, keep this in context. Remember why you're, why you're following them. Yeah. You're, you're looking at their perspective, their point of view, because that helps me to form my perspective and my point of view. So I, I appreciate that you said that. Yeah. One of the things that caught my attention lately is how comfortable they are with, with guns, you know, how, how the, the, the Antifa left, whatever it is, the, this thing that's happening, they, how they're showing themselves with guns and everyone is making, I mean, if those had been right-leaning type of, of guys, they would have chewed those up, but, but because they're fun-going, happy-go-lucky Antifa <laughs> and many people, that, that's perfectly fine. Now, the dangerous thing is, it's not that they, they like guns, because I don't have a problem with other people liking guns. The problem is they're talking about using those guns against people that have a different political point of view. <laughs> that's very different from people like ourselves that think about self-defense, about protecting ourselves, our family. We're not talking about going after folks that have a a different political opinion, but that's what they are doing. And I, I was seeing that, sure, many of them really have no idea how to use a gun. Some of them are. Some of them are getting training. Some uh, people out there with, with a military background are, are, are training them. And sure, they do look goofy right now, but you know what? It's still, it's still a dangerous trend. Eventually, uh, they will look less and less goofy. And no matter how goofy someone looks, if, if they shoot at you, and the bullet is what kills you, not the ridiculous uh, pink hat they're wearing. You know? Right, and and even if there's a thirty round magazine, they might miss they might miss yeah. twenty five shots, right? But if they just get one, they land one. That's the one that counts. Yeah, it's a dangerous trend. It, it's it, I just pay a little bit of attention and see where it's going because it's again, it it wasn't like this before. It wasn't like this just a few years ago. You would never see anyone from the 
you know, the more democratic, kind of left-leaning background, you would never see them show themselves in public with a gun. I mean, they have guns, of course. <laughs> like, like most of these anti-gun people, they, they have guns themselves or, or they have well-armed uh, security personnel that carry the, the guns for them, of course. But uh, showing themselves in public and talking about resistance uh, against the, the government, that's, that, that wasn't uh, nearly as common as it is now. Yeah, that's definitely something that we need to uh, to keep aware of. Hey, let me let me go back to collapse and and actually one of the things, um, just when I'm thinking about triggers and, and thinking about things that maybe you were there and you you got to see, um, just on a real practical perspective, I guess the things that I saw here in America when we were looking at Venezuela, the first thing that I remember, and I mentioned this, and I might be off, maybe it's just my perspective. The first thing that I saw going that people were talking about is that they couldn't get diapers for kids, then feminine hygiene products, then you couldn't get toilet paper. And then it seemed like right after that, things started sliding really, really fast. Can you, can you remember anything like that happening in Argentina or, or did it not go that way? It, it never got to that point in Argentina. I mean, I... I spent years with rationing in terms of in supermarkets you were only allowed like one bag of one one kilo of sugar you know per purchase or family that was very typical a bottle of oil you know those those staples that that today you can just go and buy as much as you can uh, I have lots of pictures of of signs you know in the stores where it was just one you could only buy one of those that that's the, the rationing is an indication of things going down, you know, bad. Um, there were limits sometimes with milk as well, with some other products, but it never got to the point where you didn't have toilet paper. A country that cannot supply toilet paper is, is you know, getting to a ridiculous level of, of incompetence. And it's, you should have been, if in your country you cannot find toilet paper, you should, you should have left that place a long time ago. And one of the things that's happening right now in Argentina, because as of this moment, Argentina is about to get very, very complicated just in one month, because the government that used to run Argentina, the Kirchner government, the Cristina Kirchner, who left the government four years ago, she was replaced by President Mauricio Macri, which is more of a a right-leaning type of guy, friend with, with Trump. He's more of a, a business-friendly uh, guy, and he, he tried to get Argentina in the right path. But in these elections, they, he already lost the primaries for like, from like 15, 17 points. Uh, Cristina Kirchner is about to make a comeback, and she's going to be running the country again. And that is extremely dangerous. Um, one of the things that's already happening, and this is a... You know, going deeper into serious preparedness is uh, a little tip here. One of the things that's already happening in Argentina, it's getting harder and harder for people to buy a passport, their own passport. An Argentine passport is costing more and more because it's usually priced in, in dollars and the peso keeps, uh, you know, it's worth less and less each passing day. And when you look at Venezuela, Venezuela has the most expensive passport in the planet. Uh, if a Venezuelan wants to buy a passport, he has to work for an entire year to be able to buy a passport, at least. Keep in mind that the average weight, is, that the average salary in Venezuela is like three or four dollars. 
that is like you know a hundred thousand bolivares or whatever the currency is. But the, the real money they're making a month, three or four dollars a month. It's impossible to live on that. Even for their own prices, they cannot even afford a couple cans of tuna with the minimum weight per month. Wow. So basically, what what this does is this this ties you and you're a prisoner of that country because you cannot afford your own passport. You cannot afford a plane ticket out of the, out of that place. Imagine that. How much time do you have to work just to save a, a thousand bucks for a plane ticket out of Venezuela, making three bucks a month? It's impossible. You have to leave on foot. That's how you're trapped in that mess. Those would be signs to look for in terms of, yeah, this is getting very, very bad. Well, you you left Argentina. You went to Ireland, and now you're in Spain. What was the last straw for you, the thing that finally convinced you, hey, we got to get out of here? That, that would be when uh, Cristina Girner was being reelected. After 2001, we had a period of, well, we had a famous week with five different presidents because each one resigned after seeing the mess they were getting themselves in. Until finally, one of these populist, terrorist type of guys, he was one of the old guard, you know, Peronist leaders, Duarte, who was a guy that somewhat made those tough decisions and kind of got things back on track until you could actually get elections. And uh, and they got this guy out of nowhere called Nestor Kirchner. He was one of these left-leaning uh, Peronists that was, he was basically, basically a criminal. Uh, he was he, he was terrible. And his wife is just as bad as he is as well. They, as soon as they knew they were winning the elections, they created their own construction company just to get the, the contracts from the government for themselves. And they, they basically looted the country the entire time. But all, not only did they just steal, but they also um, started spreading this um, this message of you know the, the socialist leftist agenda that spread throughout the country and caused so much damage that, that even today the, the country cannot get it back on its feet. Now, when Nestor, um, when Cristina was elected after after Nestor, and then when I saw that she was being re-elected one more time, that's when I said, okay, we have to leave right now because this is not going to be ending up well. And sure enough, after we left, just in a few months, is things started getting even worse. And I, I would get you know contact with talk with people still back home over there, and they would tell me. How did you know? How do you know it would get so bad? And I was telling them, you know, it really is no science. It was so obvious that in the second presidency, she would be doing everything she didn't dare do in the first one. You know, out of fears of not, not winning enough, it supports us to get reelected and that sort of thing. And it was just like it went down. It was quite terrible and still still is. And apparently we'll go back to those old times again. Wow. So... If if you were there, if you you know, with what you know now, if you were back there in Argentina, what would you do differently? Man, it, it, it's a tough question because the first thing I would do if I was in Argentina would be find ways of leaving Argentina if I was there right now. Which is because I have to give you the, the, the re, I have to give you the truth. I have to give you the real advice. And the real advice I, I find people doing right now, what a lot of people are doing right now in Argentina, is looking for ways to leave Argentina. That's what the real prepper, survivalist, 
similar mentality folks are doing right now over there. Those are the guys that are doing the right thing because the only right step for you in Argentina right now is to leave that place. There's really no – I mean, I could tell you a ton. I could tell you a ton of things. You know, I know of people, of great people that will just will not leave and they're, st they're stocking up on food. They're trying to arm themselves. One of the reasons why I'm getting a thousand new subscribers a week right now in my Spanish uh, channel is because of this. Because I'm getting messages of people asking me about, you know, what do I do? Uh, Fernando, what is it that I should be doing? I'm scared. I'm worried. I, I'm looking to arm myself because this is going to be getting ugly. And I give them advice. Sure, I, I tell them the, the kind of, uh, of guns that I would be getting myself, the kind of training I would be getting myself, where, uh, stay, I mean, with the, the kind of thing I, I, did, I did myself back in the day when I was there. But to be completely honest, the only right thing for, do, for you to do right now is, is leave that place. If you cannot leave, then absolutely, you know, ha have a supply of food. Find yourself alternative sources of income. Have a, a chunk of land where you can grow something. Make it so that you can somehow protect that chunk of land because crime is going to be spiraling out of control. And that is very hard. You know, they're already talking, look, Todd, they're already talking about uh, um, nationalizing uh, farms and large landowners taking the land away from them. Imagine you're a prepper right now and you have your homestead with a, a, a house there. You have half a million bucks on, on, on preps and solar and, and crops and all that. And, and one of these guys shows up and says, that's not yours anymore. You have to give it up. What happens to your preps then? This yeah. is the kind of stuff that happens in, in Venezuela. This is the kind of stuff that is about to happen in Argentina. Not me saying it. It's just all over the news. What could you possibly do when you have your, your homestead? Your, you, had a, you have 100 acres. You have food for feeding yourself. You have crops. You have a, a, a tractor. You have, you have all this stuff you've seen in, in novels, right? In the survival novels that we all know where where you have that and you're protecting it. What do you do when the government comes and tells you, okay, Mr. Mister Todd, give it up because that's no longer yours. What do you do then? Yeah. That's the kind of thing that people don't like to think about, but that's the thing that's very real. Venezuela, Argentina, happened in South Africa as well. Real world, guys, this is how it is. And, and I think sometimes people don't, it's so hard because we are, you know, the land of the free, we believe in liberty, all that. I think it's very hard for people to imagine that something like that could happen even here, uh, here in the United States. I think it's very hard. Todd, imagine this. I understand what you're saying, and I, I, I get this all the time. One of the things I've learned over the years is never say never. <laughs> never say never because life has a way of slapping you around and humbling you as I don't know. It, it's incredible. Think about Ocasio-Cortez right now and the things she says. And if she could have said those same things 10 years ago and get the support she has. So I'm not, I'm not saying things will happen either way because I have no crystal ball. But it's the kind of thing that when, when it happens, people go, I can't believe this is happening right now. I mean, in Venezuela, there are still millions of people that say, I cannot believe this is happening. Well, you know, it is. Uh, you kind of see this going down the road. You know, imagine Trump is going to be reelected. That, that's, that's said and done. What happens after that, that is kind of harder to say. You have these very far left-leaning people 
that if they get control of the government, you just don't know what's going to be happening 10 years from now, right? Yeah. So you just cannot know. It's impossible to know what could happen. You have this, this wide spectrum right now is so polarized that next year, fine. Nothing's going to be happening next year. After that, I just don't know. And I don't think, if, I don't think anyone else knows what could happen 10 years from now. Well, anywhere, pretty much. I, I think that you know one of the things that I'm I'm really considering when we talk about preparedness is that it's not just one thing; it's multiple yeah. things that are going on, right? So you you can have the economy kind of doing this slide that we that we talked about. You can have the political spectrum all in turmoil, and you can have the antifa and and all the other things that are going on. You know causing you know violence there so it's all these things all at once kind of going that are that are causing i don't know that can cause some anxiety i mean, I, I can imagine there's people out there worried about what the future might hold right and so there's yeah. all these things that are happening all at one time so it's not just one thing you got to kind of be aware of all the stuff that's going on yeah i i don't want to scare anyone i mean i know that in in our prepper survival community there's there's been a lot of folks that were they were very much for the fear mongering thing. I'm not like that. I know you are not like that either. And so we have to tell people these are many things that you can see in the horizon. If you do this stuff we were talking about just recently, staying on top of the news, knowing what's going on. Look, what happened in Venezuela did not happen overnight. You saw that coming miles away. You saw that years ago. But a lot of people were in denial. They didn't want to accept that. Hugo Chavez was a horrible person and a horrible president, uh, a horrible dictator. They didn't want to accept that Maduro was that as well. And in Argentina, people do not want to accept that Cristina Kirchner is basically a, a criminal, and they're willing to elect her as well. So all of those, all of these things, if you are on top of the news, see what's going on. If, for example, what, what I'm saying about one of her strongmen saying that he's looking into expropriating and taking away land from people. That's one of those red flags. That's okay. You're saying that maybe you'll go through with that, maybe not, but you're already putting it in the conversation. The United States is not on that same level by any means. You have your Ocasio-Cortez types. In, I mean, she is an elected <laughs> representative, which is quite concerning, but she's not still in power. She's not anywhere near that sort of thing. But keep your eye out there and, and stay on top of news. Know what's going on. Because it can happen that people sleep on it and years go by and they just, they, they slowly boiling frog thing. You know, people don't see it happening until one day you cannot afford a can of tuna with your monthly wage. And that's a little bit too late, right? Yeah, no, very good. A lot of great advice there. All right. So moving on, because you alluded to one of the things, uh, you know, in Argentina and uh, even some of the things that, uh, are possible here in the United States or that are happening, not just possible, that are happening, although it's in pockets. Uh, that's violence. So I, I remember reading in your book, in your first book, uh, about violence on the streets and I you know, heard you talk about it in your videos. Even I know at some points you were even showing videos from Argentina and you were giving some commentary on it. I, I remember one guy with a knife, right, that he was like in a park. And uh, the police, you know, he was just going after the police and, and they were having a hard time uh, getting, I mean, that was a long time ago, but I remember that video uh, 
you know, it just is kind of burned into my memory. So when, when we look at that violence, right, how, how bad did it get? I mean, you, you've kind of already alluded to it, but what kinds of things should we do to protect ourselves when it, when it comes to being around that? I mean, I know that we don't go looking for it. We don't go, but when you go to a place where there's violence there, so right now it seems like everybody takes out their phones and starts videoing it, right? Uh, you know, what, what, what are some of the pieces of advice that you would give us there? Well, Argentina became a, a very dangerous place. It, it wasn't always that way, right? But eventually it got to a point where, I mean, you, you, you just couldn't find someone that hasn't been uh, at gunpoint at some time in his recent life, like in the last few years. Um, people getting their phones snatched and stolen or, or mugged at gunpoint, that was... Uh, that that's a pretty common occurrence. It, it became very very dangerous, and I mean the only way you you can prepare for that is avoiding dangerous situations as much as possible. At the same time, when it gets to that level, everything is dangerous. When you go out to work, it's dangerous. When you drive back home after work, it's dangerous as well. And the the things you start doing is is what I did. You start uh, training, practicing, learning how to defend yourself. Uh, how do we make your ho your house a, a harder target? A, a good alarm system, a, a, a reinforced bulletproof door. You know all those things that uh, I was basically living in a in a bunker. I mean, like my door was not going to be getting kicked down. You needed uh, if SWAT wanted to get through my door, they would need something to cut through steel to get through it. You know. Um, and then, of course, arming yourself. And you were not looking at the tiniest. You know, the discussion for me was never what's comfortable for me to carry concealed. No, I, I carried a Glock 31, <laughs> and uh, and another gun as backup. That was the the kind of thing I was going for. In because you're worried about bad things happening, and not just a um, a meth head going after you, but a group of well-organized attackers, three or four well-armed individuals that are professionals at what they're doing. And just to confront that type of thing, the last thing you think about is, can I do that with a snubby revolver with five rounds? No, you get your Glock 17 with full capacity magazines, you get your Glock 31s, and, and you conceal it, and it doesn't bother you the weight, the size, that's, that's never a discussion. <laughs> uh, so you start doing all things and preparing as much as you can. And many times when, when you're well prepared for that, uh, you can avoid the, the problems and the situations before they get worse. You see them coming and, and you react, either avoiding them or, or using your gun without actually having to shoot anyone because you, you were faster than them. That sort of thing ends up happening too. And of course, sometimes you end up uh, doing things that uh, you will have to defend yourself in, in the court of law, that's always better than being buried. You know, no question there. Def um, definitely. So hey, let me, let me ask you a question to that. It just kind of popped up. I don't know when you got married. I don't know how long you've been married, but were you married in Argentina? And if so, was there some protocols that you had with your, with your wife or your girlfriend at the time? Um, you know, what, what would you recommend? They like here in the United States, uh, even where I'm at, I'm in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, that there, you know, when the sun goes down, I don't like my wife to go out by herself. You know, I have big boys, they normally go or I'll go. 
Um, yeah. But what kind, you know, what would you recommend or uh, what kinds of things did you consider at that time in Argentina for women? Yeah, that, that would be one of the first things. I mean, that, that was very common in, in Argentina as well back then. Um, then it wasn't enough. Then you had to organize and, and more people and, you know, but this thing you're, you're talking about of, okay, someone's going to be picking you up or someone's going to be opening the door for you and being there when you arrive. Uh, these things were, were uh, very common. And, yeah, I was, I was just getting married in, in, 2000, in 2001. That was, uh, that was pretty interesting because uh, wedding plans were, were, were complicated as the currency was, was falling to pieces. But being very careful, as you were saying, after, after night, yeah, after the sun went down, you, you just wouldn't go out, you know, especially not your wife, especially not your daughter, your kids. Kids on the street, very, very uncommon. You wouldn't let a, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old out on the street, no, because they, they were just easy prey. They, they still are. This is how Argentina is still today. Um, you had someone opening your door, opening the garage for you, and, and you would phone them. I'm 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 just about the, about the corner. I'll be just there in a couple more minutes. Uh, someone keeping an eye out for you. But then even that was not not enough. So you started organizing with neighbors about you know letting people know in, in your WhatsApp group in, if some, if something suspicious was going on and people agreeing on if they see anything suspicious, everyone going out and, and trying to help one another. And there were, you know, neighborhoods where if they couldn't organize themselves as to pay for private security, which was, that was very common. I, I paid for private security as well back then. In, in a, in a, I lived in both middle, nicer middle-class neighborhoods. I lived in a little bit of lower middle-class neighborhoods where people did not have a lot of money to spare. But one of the things they, they did was um, pony up that money for that private security because that guy driving around with a gun, you, you definitely wanted him when you were driving back home. So, yeah, you, you took all the precautions you could. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, and it doesn't, it's like it doesn't matter where you are, right? I mean, those, those things translate. It doesn't matter what country you are in. I mean, we, we want to protect our families. We want to protect our, our, our wives, our girlfriends, and we want to make sure that they're safe. And so uh, that is, I think, one of those conversations that a lot of people, uh, you know, those that are living in, in neighborhoods that, are, that have never seen violence before or the crime yeah. is, is, is not uh, heavy right now, they might be living in a little bubble, but it's something that they need to be thinking about. Definitely. Yeah, well, you're giving a great example. You know, you're talking about something that would, what you're talking about would have been milled Argentina pre-2001 or maybe some of the first stages of 2001 before it started getting even worse. But as you're saying, there's places in the United States where people don't do any of this. They don't even lock their doors at night. They don't feel the need for that. Now, when a country goes down... In a, in a more complicated path, there's no exceptions. Everyone is doing this or, or more, you know. One of the things that's very common in Argentina is uh, gated communities, you know, with, with, with a fence, with serious security, especially if it's a upper middle class or, or, or a higher class, you know, rich type of, of community. They definitely have serious security and it's, it's gated. They have their own schools. 
they live, in, I've seen many of these, and some people would tell me, instead of leaving the country, move to one of these places. You will have you know, your kids in, in the school, in the, in the gated community, but you're basically living in a cage. This is very common in South Africa as well. Um, but living like that, when a country gets to that point where if you have the money, you have to put yourself in a cage and have someone guard over you and you live in a little bubble because if not, you get eaten by your lions outside. That's the cue for you to get the hell out of there and find somewhere else where that madness is not common, you know? Well, and I, I think sometimes people think, well, I, I can do this for a little while, right? But really, it's been 20 years. I mean, the way, from what you're talking about, it's been 20 years. There's been people, you know, kids that are 20 years old that have never experienced Argentina the way it was before the collapse and how beautiful the, the country yeah. was and the freedoms that y'all had and, and all of that stuff. So they, they never they, they never played outside like I did when I was a kid. I, I, I'm not that old either, you know, I'm 40 years old. So it's not that it wasn't that long ago, but I, I used to play outside. I used to walk on the street without a care in the world, visit my friends and just have a good time. And there's an entire generation that knew nothing of that. They, they never they couldn't ride a bike on the streets, you know, I, unless they were in a you know, agreeing on guarding one another. You know, one of the things that happened before, just before I was, I, I left. I, whenever I was law, uh, uh, cutting the, the the lawn, you know, the my my neighbor when she saw me doing the gardening and stuff, she would go outside and quickly tidy hers up. And and my wife pointed out, you know what she's doing, right? She she's going out when she knows you are out as well. And as soon as you're back inside, she runs inside as well. She's she's <laughs> she's basically uh, using the, the moment you're out there as, as protection. Um, yeah. And when I was out there, you don't know what it's like to be out there mowing your lawn and having your, 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 your gun on your hip, expecting someone to come and shoot them. You know, looking for someone to shoot as you're mowing your lawn. That, that's the kind of thing. It, it's not nice to live like that. It, it's, not, it's not sane. You, you go nuts if you keep on doing that for the rest of your life. That's why I ended up, I ended up leaving. So, so, so that will be uh, a good leadway into my to my next question because you stayed in the city. Now I've heard you many times talking talking about that bugging out to the country or those who lived out in the country during the collapse of Argentina they they didn't do too well. So you know, can you talk a little bit about that? And then maybe when would be a good time to bug out to the country? You know, when would when would be the right move? Right. Well, that's more. That's, in many ways, I could tell you that the cold, hard facts of uh, the weaknesses that you would have in a more isolated region or place in, in, a, in a farm. And I could tell you all that. But at the same time, I also understood over the years that the way you live, for some people, they, if you're going to be enjoying your life and you just love living in the country, and sure, it gets to a point. I mean, think of South Africa. South Africa would be an extreme example of no. Even if you love your homestead, your farm, your yeah, even if you love that, it's not viable anymore because you are you're a chunk of meat waiting to be eaten by lions. They're gonna be going after you, and they've killed thousands of farmers in South Africa, so it's no longer viable. In the case of Argentina, it, it was quite dangerous as well because many many people in those isolated farms and residences that they got hit. 
And when, when they did, it usually was quite violent. You have to combine this with the fact that people no longer trusted banks. And some of these folks, in, they had a, a, big, a big farm, a big property. Maybe they were making good money, especially with the exports at some times, with the soybean prices being pretty good. So a lot of these folks got tortured in their homes because they wanted them to give up the money they were hiding somewhere. And it was, you heard some quite terrible stories. Now, being in the city was no, really not, not the exception for that because bad things could and did happen as well. But this was, was quite common out there in the sticks. I had friends, I mean, I have two friends that have a large properties in, I'm, I'm talking about thousands of acres, not a little, a little homestead. And, and both of those experienced quite a bit of, of crime and violence as well. They got uh, robbed on, on several occasions. And it was the, the cattle, what is it called when they steal cattle, rustling? Or what yeah, yeah, that's right. Very common, or, or stealing machinery. They would just show up with a truck and load up. They will steal your tractor, your, your cattle. They'd steal everything. In well-organized groups, they would show up and, and do that. I had a, a good friend, well, I have a good friend that um, very well off, lots of money, big, big, big property. And he was uh, most definitely a prepper, you know. He, he had a lot of guns. He knew how to shoot well. He had, he had the house in the city and the gated community with a fancy, the fancy place. And he had a farm as well with a, with a nice house and, house and a couple other buildings for some people that lived there permanently. And he told me about his plans for preparing in case he got hit. Just a few weeks before I left, he got hit. And he told me, Fernando, you were absolutely right. I could do nothing. They just moved from one building to the other, putting everyone at gunpoint, and we were like sheep. We could not do a thing, nothing. We just, they, they just got us, and, and they stole whatever they could. He, he supposes that they did a little bit of intelligence, watching the place for a little while. I mean, it doesn't take a genius. You, you just um, do a little bit of, of stakeout, watching the place, the movement, the kind of people that move back and forth, the, 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 the scales in terms of uh, cars going in and out. And you get one of those, you keep it at gunpoint, and you, and you move from one place to the next. And that's how he got hit. A guy that was most definitely a smart, well-prepared person. Wow. Yeah. So that's... That's very interesting. I mean, that changes a lot of people's paradigm when it comes to to thinking about um, thinking about going out into the country and and being out there. You definitely need to be organized in some way. So yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to burst anyone's bubbles. And there's a lot of people that love the, the, the lifestyle, and they absolutely get that. Now, one of the things that I try to explain people is this works for you right now because the things you're thinking you're preparing for have not happened. That's why you're able to do this that you're doing right now. You're thinking you're doing this for preparing. If things really get bad, this is not going to be working for you. Unless you have some serious security. And I, I'm talking about several, several guards watching the perimeter uh, around the clock if you can afford that well yeah if you have and, and here's where people say yes I have a group I have my friends we, we talked about it and we're all gonna be showing up how do you know if that friend is not gonna be leaving the country like I did I'm finding something better for him to tell himself and his family how are you gonna be avoiding the unavoidable fights the discussions the different opinions on how to do things and 
lots of the things people do for preparing, they, they work as long as they don't actually need those preps they think they have in place. Definitely a lot to think about when when you say those things. And I know that, I mean, I remember you saying those, I remember reading it, and I have mentioned it before, but, the, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, always comes up, and I, I think people really need to, to think about that. Uh, I think, you know, I like what you said about, you know, the, the city, or when you were in the city, that the neighborhoods came together, there was almost like a neighborhood watch you know, you had you had protection. People looked out for each other, and and that would be necessary. That's necessary now, and it's going to be even more necessary in you know as things get things get worse. Um, Again, Todd, without bursting anyone's bubbles or, or anyone getting offended, if you have your if you have your your homestead right now, you have your your nice chunk of property, you have solar, you have your garden, you're eating fresh from your own garden and you're you're loving it that's that's all fantastic that's all great i mean in many ways that's the way you should be living now now the realistic preparedness part where i come in in terms of being honest about it be honest about this yourself if you can do this and love it enjoy it but at the same time have preps in place in case things get worse and you actually need to do some some changes to that Maybe you're going to be, um, you know, moving in a, in a more compact manner, maybe making some changes. So, sure, if you have people, family that show up and help one another, that, that's fantastic as well. But think about all the weaknesses. Don't, don't just think about this stuff that you love doing. Think about these things that I'm talking about, which are very real. I'm not making anything up here. This is just how, it, how the, the – the, the, Well, it's experience that you had in Argentina. I mean, it's not – you know, you're saying yeah. you're not making it up. It's like what you saw happening out there. And yeah, look, so have those, have that opinion in mind, and see which holes you could work on on patching up if things do get worse. But on the meantime, keep enjoying life and, and can go at it, enjoy it. Yeah, well, I think that's important not to not to get so fearful of what's happening that you don't enjoy the present, the present time Absolutely. that we're living in. So, um, moving, you know. I looked at, I picked up your second book, Bugging Out and Relocating, years ago when we thought we were going to be missionaries. We thought maybe the Lord was going to lead us to another country and we were going to be missionaries. So I wasn't reading it for, you know, bugging out purposes, but just for the purpose of what kinds of things you thought about and what kinds of things you went through when you were going to another country. But along those lines, does it make sense? Because this comes up a lot of the times as well. Does it make sense for people to want to bug out? from the United States? Um, <laughs> the short answer would, would be no. I mean, I, I understand. If I was American right now, living in the United States, would I bug out of the United States as of right now? The answer is, is, is probably no. I mean, um, if you're not happy in the place, and I go about this in the book a little bit, if, you, if you're not happy where you are right now because your state or your, your county is going in a, in a different direction and you want something else, Maybe moving to another state, something that appeals to you more. I, I absolutely see that happening. Now, now, leaving your country entirely is is, is very different. is is a different story, Todd. That's that's quite hard. It's not always easy. Now, at the same time, I have to tell you, yes, there's people that do it and love it. I mean, I, I know expats that love living in different places. At the same, as I know, people that have moved to Panama or Central America or 
a number of other places and they just didn't like it, they work for them, they, they ended up moving back. Um, if that's something you have to do, if, if it's an itch you definitely have to scratch, uh, I'm of the, of the opinion that go for it. You know, don't leave anything there in the, in, in the bag that, that you didn't do and you, you wish you had done it before at some point in life. Go for it. If it's definitely something you want to go for, absolutely. Um, I know people that are, love living in India. I want to live in India for all the money in the world, Todd. <laughs> they're, they're happy there. What can you tell someone? Is that your thing? You know, roll with that, absolutely. Uh, but be, be quite pragmatic about your expectations and what it's really like. Many times you see people that um, think it's going to be a lot cheaper. You know, yeah, I'm going to be moving to Central America. Everything is so cheap. I'm going to be moving to Argentina where the exchange rate is 60 pesos per dollar. I'm going to be a millionaire with a I'm going to be a millionaire in Argentina with $1,000 a month. That doesn't really work that way. In many of these countries, lots of the things that you take for granted in the United States are a lot more expensive. A safe place to live, a car, good clothes, good electronics, a nice cell phone. All of those things are luxuries in many of those places that are far more expensive than they are in America. So all of those things have to be taken into account as well. I, I just think from a survival standpoint, preparedness survival, that the United States is so much bigger and it has so many more resources, so much, you know, so much more land uh, that I just, it, for me, it never really made sense to, I know people can get frustrated with uh, maybe the political aspects and stuff like that, but to me, yeah. it just never made sense to leave the United States. I mean, people are coming to the United States. So well, imagine, imagine if you had left during Obama. You, you didn't like Obama, right? He got two terms. The presidents come and go. The thing you should be looking for is not who's president right now, if you like him more or less. And sure, there's things that are concerning. You know, you, you see certain things that, especially when there's changes to your, your freedoms, your liberties, you don't want to be seeing those being taken away by anyone, no matter, no matter who that is. Um, and it's usually when those go away, they're much harder to gain back again. Uh, so that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, but presidents change, come and go, and if you're not happy with one, just wait a little bit more. Uh, but no, I, I don't see that as a reason to have to leave a country entirely. Um, and as you're saying, the United States is huge. You have lots of different options. At the same time, again, being completely honest, even if I'm happy living in the States, I would still play with this idea of what if. You know, what, what if I have to do this? What if I have to? What if Ocasio-Cortez becomes president? If I have to leave in a little bit of a hurry, what would I do? You know, role play that, even if you're never going to be doing it. Role play a little bit of that. And maybe you will surprise yourself with some options. And maybe if that would be the, the more a comet hitting the earth, EMP, end of the world type kind of unlikeliness, but still possible and still something that could be quite useful. I, I've talked with people that, for example, that they could have gotten a, a second citizenship because of, of a, a, an Italian a grandparent or ancestor or whatever. And they never bothered to get that. And I would always explain, you know, that's a, that's a huge tool. That's a huge advantage you have. There's really no reason not to exploit that uh, just in case you need it down the road. Even if you never need it, you can pass it along your, grand, your kids, your grandkids. That's something you, 
you should be looking forward to. So role play with that and, and plan on the what ifs, what ifs I had to do. And then it will at least give you somewhat of a plan, somewhat of a strategy uh, to keep in, in mind uh, just in case. That, that's uh, good advice. You know, the, I always think the role play, the, the mental, you know, the, the mental struggle there, you know, going through that, I think that's always helpful. So that's, that's good. Good advice. Hey, I'm looking at your new book. You got a new one that just came out, Street Survival Skills. And there, this is packed, right? You got a lot of stuff in here. Uh, I'm looking at the different chapters. I mean, you got survival basics, awareness, gear, security, firearms, self-defense. I mean, uh, defensive, even defensive driving, food and cooking, sanitation, first aid, and a lot of different uh, illustrations in here. Can you talk to us a little bit about your, your new book? And I mean, it looks like there's a lot of practical things in here that preppers can do to not just prepare themselves, but uh, to protect themselves as well. Yeah, well, it, it's a, it, of the three books, it's the one I'm the most proud of because in, <laughs> I put a lot of, of heart into it, in, into, making, into, into making it like a, a solid little manual for someone that just wants the practical stuff, you know, and just a little bit of the basics that I, I feel everyone should, should know about. But my first book was was very successful and still is. It's a book that's still selling well now and, and people like it. Um, my second book was a little bit harder for some folks, especially the, the bugging out part and relocating stuff. Uh, but the, the first one was liked so much, but it really had not, nothing in terms of graphic explanations. I, I explained a lot in my first book with, with text, you know, but many times I, I felt like, you know, yeah, sure, but how do you explain this in a, in a practical scale, you know, in, a, in how you actually do these things? So this last book is all practical, all how to do stuff. That, that's the, why the name of the book, you know, in survival skills. And explaining all that, the book is like half of the book is sketches and drawings. It's one, one page of text, the other page with illustrations explaining how you actually do that. And... What I wanted to focus a lot on was uh, on things that are practical that people can use as of right now. Uh, as you're saying, you know, if you're if you're mugged on the street, if you're if you're attacked, if you come across a, um, you know, uh, a, what, what what do you call these on, on the road? One of the road rage things. Road rage, yeah. Attacking you when exactly when least expected. How have you? <laughs> there's some stuff in the book that sounds very strange, but it's some. Some of the strangest things in that book I actually did. <laughs> I actually hit someone with a car and rolled it, like I explained there. <laughs> it was very scary and terrible at the time, and but it, but it worked just like I explained there. They went down like a rolling. Yeah, um, but these are all things that could happen to you at any moment, no matter where you live. You know, no, no matter where you are. If you're in the United States, these are all things that. Learning how to defend yourself. Learning, I, I focus a lot on learning on defending yourself with improvised stuff. You know, if you're in, in a bar with your friends and maybe you don't have your concealed carry gun because you're in a bar, how you pick up a chair and go about using that? How you pick up a bottle or, or fight with your with, with your hands? So yeah, it, it's most definitely a, a practical uh, guide for lots of these stuff and awareness as well and. I included stuff on, on barricading doors, especially with, with the active shooter terrorist stuff. 
uh, I looked into that quite a bit. How do you, you quickly uh, make it harder for them to move and, and exit places and uh, find exits when you're moving into a, 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 a indoor room? Um, so, for example, when, when I was visiting Texas, I noticed that with, with some of, of my friends that had a military background, we would, we would, even without talking and agreeing on it, we would sit in a manner that we were covering each other's back. That's the kind of thing when, that you do with, with like-minded like people. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of those uh, practical uh, things in the book. I, I love the illustration. Did you do the illustrations? Yes, thanks. Yes, those are all, all mine. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're good, man. I mean, I'm telling you. And so you're right about there is text and then there's illustrations. And so, you know, there's so many books out there where you read. And like you said, there's just a lot of text. But this helps you to, I mean, if you, if you have a mental picture of it or your visual picture of it, you can, you can understand it and grasp it a lot more. So, man, yeah, this is really great. I, I can see that this is going to be a popular book. Um, what kind of feedback have you received on it already? Oh, it's it's been fantastic. I mean, it has a, already a, a few reviews on Amazon, all of them five stars, and, and the feedback I'm getting is is exactly what I what I was hoping for. Uh, I'm taking a lot of shooting classes and instruction. I'm actually a firearms instructor. Uh, back from uh, my time in Argentina, I I spend a lot of money, a lot of time in learning how to uh, shoot properly with. With, with, with some of the best people and my, my instructor back in Argentina is, is a guy that's been through everything you could possibly think for. It's one of the guys that has, I don't know of anyone that has as much, uh, has been in as many gunfights as, as that guy, Jorge Baigorria in Argentina. You can look him up. Fantastic instructor. I learned a lot from him. But for example, if I'm explaining how to, you know, basic stuff, because this book is for everyone. If, if you're buying a, a gun and you don't, you maybe didn't go to a, an actual a shooting class, got a class, got training from an actual instructor. The, the correct grip, the correct way in which you hold your gun, the different stances, all of those are pretty basic no matter where you're learning. I, I've taken classes in Argentina. I've taken classes in, in Ireland as well, uh, here in Spain. Some of these are, are pretty staple, you know, pretty basics in terms of – and they're basics because they work. So a, a good a stool position, how you hold your hands – that's that's a good a good um, ability to learn how you hold a, a gun properly, uh, no no matter where you are. And a lot of folks uh, just don't have those classes and and could use that kind of instruction with detailing detailed drawings on how to actually do that. You know. Yeah. No. I. It's good. I, and I'm glad you did this one. I'm glad I got it. Uh, I'm going to link to actually all your books in the show notes. So for those of you that are listening. Uh, you know that I can't link to them on the show notes that you find on your podcast catcher, but I make it very easy for you to come over to the Prepper website podcast and to link to it from there. So definitely I'll be linking to it to make it, make it easy for people to find you on Amazon and uh, check out your books. Now, let me ask you this question here because uh, it's, it's one that I sometimes imagine myself being asked, but what is one topic that you would like to cover that you really don't get to talk about when you get interviewed? Man, <laughs> those tough questions of, well, you know, one of the things that um, maybe I have talked about this before, but I don't think it's, it's giving the importance of that it should is, you know, 
getting your house in order. And some of this has to do with what you were talking about before of, you know, having maybe your, your own business or having different sources of income. That's, that's part of it as well. But your, your family structure, that, that's a huge deal. How, how well you get along with, with your wife, your kids, your, your extended family. That's, that's pretty important. I, I saw a lot of folks in, in Argentina rely a lot on their family, you know. And one of the things that um, you, you, you often make, make fun of, you know, the, the typical joke of, uh, yeah, I'm, leaving, I, I'm, I'm living in my mom's basement. Well, a lot of people had to move back to their mom's basement with their own wife and kids because they had nowhere else to go. And, and it's tough, but it's, it's a lot less tough when you all get along well, when you have a solid family structure. Uh, in the old days, um, and you, you probably know this as well, is in the old days, people lived together a lot more. As in, I have, I have a good friend in Argentina. He's, um, he has a, a, good, a good income, a company, he's doing well, but they would have their, their grandparents, uh, the, the grandmother would live with them. Not because she had to, but because it was a, a family decision, you know? sticking together, helping one another, and getting along well. And those are all things you have to work on. And as you were saying before, sometimes you're, you, know, you come back from work, you're tired, want to get a, a, a beer and watch TV or go to a bar and hang with friends. And sometimes you have to invest a little bit of that time in, in, in the family. You know, I, I'm a family guy. That's, that's no mystery for me. I've, I've always been that way, so I've never had to struggle with that too much. Or, or anything at all because it's, it's what I like doing. I like hanging out with, with my wife and my kids. That's, that's it for me. But for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, uh, guys going through divorces, sometimes, sometimes those divorce stories are, are terrible. They end up in huge fights. You know, even if you end up uh, going through something like that, try to be in as best terms as possible, you know, and be – Try to be as nice and kind as you can possibly be within the, the situation because, again, you never know the way life is going to be turning. Some, maybe one of those occasions, your ex-wife or your ex-husband is someone you're going to be relying on. And, and if you have a good relationship with them, then it's going to be helping out your relationship with your kids and makes everything better for everyone. So, again, that's um, the importance of the of family and getting along well, sometimes it's not emphasized as much as, as it should. No, that's really good advice. And, and if you get to that point, well, I think that as the economy continues to limp along, right, we continue to do that slide. I can see where people, and, and actually I had this conversation with someone just actually yesterday at work where you have kids that are moving back in kind of like what you said and uh, older adult kids, and maybe even the grandparents moving in, and not because it was a family decision, but because they have to, because, yeah. because of the economy, right? And so I believe and that it's, it's happening more and more. I believe it's, we're going to see it more and more as we, we you know, travel through this economy. But what you're saying is so true that when anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff is thrown on top of a family, you know, the structure, you know, that just causes things to be so much harder. So if you can have those great family relationships now, when it gets harder, uh, you, you'll be able to, to get through those times a little bit easier 
relying on family, but being able to know that, you know, hey, you can, you can argue, you can disagree, but you can go ahead and, and move on your family, right? So I think that's great, great advice. Yeah, I, I try to do that myself. You know, I, I, have, I have kids, I have three kids, and one that's already 17 years old. And even my little kid, with, with, my, with, my, with my last book, they, they helped out a, a little bit in, in terms of helping with the design of the cover and getting them involved in that. They had proofreading as well, so they were practicing uh, their second language and, and helping out as well. So you know, getting them involved and trying to support one another, whatever it is they're doing. You know, being very respectful of other people's decisions. You know, I give my, my kids all the freedom that they could possibly want. It, whatever it is you want to do with your life, go for it and, and do it as best as you can. Uh, I'm always going to be supporting your, you on that. You will always have a, a, a place here in, in your house, no matter how old you are. You know, that, that doesn't matter. This, yeah, Todd, this is a, a thing that has been, and this is very American. This is a, a criticism that I, I'm daring to make here. This is very American thinking that you have to run out of, of your house when you're 18, 19 years old. You're already a man. You have to start with your mortgage and getting yourself in debt. Don't rush into debt. If you have a good family relationship and you can extend that a little bit more, saving a little bit more money so as to not have to uh, put yourself into so much debt. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with staying with your parents a little bit longer. I, I, don't, I at least don't think there is. I don't, I don't know if you share this, this, thought, or, this thought of mine, but many times we're, thro we're thrown into this consumerism of, you know, you have to go buy a house, and, ha and it better be a big house, and you better have a fancy car in the, in the driveway. It should be one of those big four by four trucks, even if you don't actually need it. But you better have it. You know this idea of of constant consumerism as in, as in being the only way to satisfy and being happy with your life. I don't think that that's healthy for anyone, and it kind of drives you nuts. No, I I agree. I agree. I mean, one of the things that we've done with my son, who uh, is just about to finish college, we didn't want him. Because I've been looking at all, you know, the economy, one of the, the loan, the, the, the bubbles that they always talk about bursting, but uh, it seems like it, it comes and it goes, the, the conversation about it is the college loan bubble, right? And we well, never- That's terrible. It's terrible. And we never wanted that, you know, my son to, to start off life with all this debt. So we struggled really hard. And one of the things, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but as a- as an assistant principal that I, you know, that I was in public education, we would always put up, the teachers would always put up what college they graduated from. And so one day I was, I just had this, the light bulb went on. I was walking through the hallway and I had a teacher who graduated from the University of Houston, right? So they lived here in Houston. They went to Houston, uh, the University of Houston. And so they didn't, they didn't have to spend a lot of money on going out to a really popular college, right? And she yeah. was teaching right next to another teacher who went to Dartmouth. And I'm like, that, you know, Ivy League, spend tons of money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these teachers are making the same amount of money because you don't get paid by the college you go to. You get paid by the years of, you know, the years of experience. They're making the same amount of money. And so when, when my kids were getting ready to go to college, that was one of the conversations. Depending on what you want to do and stuff like that, you can start off at a community college and move to, you know, a, a four-year college and not have to get all that debt. And, you know, that's what my oldest son did. And he's going to be graduating and he's going to be in a lot better shape than a lot of the other 
kids his age are because he's not coming out with a lot of debt. So yeah, I, I, I do agree with you on that. Definitely. Look, there's, there, there's the, it, it's a lie. It's a myth. The, the idea that you have to spend a, a, a fortune in going to a fancy college and sure, get yourself an education, go to college and, you know, do your thing. But this idea that you have to get yourself into awful debt, you know, I, my, my brother, he, he was, he's working, he was working for one of the, I cannot even mention the name, but one of the largest financial companies in the planet. One of the, think of the biggest money, <laughs> one of these biggest investment firms that you could possibly think, think of. Well, in that one, he, he was working his way up the, the executive ladder and came across one of his bosses was a guy from Argentina. And, I mean, talking about serious money type of, of person. He was from Argentina. He went to a public university in Noma de Zamora for free. Free education in South America. And he was now running one of the, one of the areas, one of the largest financial firms in the, in the planet, making a, a freaking fortune. It didn't matter. The, the guy was good. His, he was skilled. He had the, the hunger, the drive to go and get things done. Oh, back, back to the attitude, right? Back to the yeah. attitude that you were talking about earlier. He, he, he did not pay a single cent, one dollar for his education, nothing. In a, in a social, not even in a good public university in South in Argentina. He went to a, a, a mediocre public university in Argentina, and he's still one of the lead guys in one of the biggest financial firms on the planet. Yeah. No. And, and now we're getting to the point in, in education, public education, where uh, it, it was always, you know, go to college, go to college. Now we're talking more about, hey, there's careers out there that where you don't have to go to college and you can make even more money, like even just being a plumber, an electrician and, uh, you know, those types of things where you, you can make a whole lot of, you know, and I, I, I laugh about that because even during uh, you know, an SHTF scenario, people are still going to need plumbers, right? Yeah. You might not need to go to a financial planner, but you might need a plumber, definitely. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things, uh, being a plumber, any, even stuff that you enjoy, if, if you like uh, working with, with your hands, there's, there's guys that do um, uh, blacksmithing, knives, make a good living making uh, uh, pretty good uh, knives, or they do that as a, as a second income as well. There's guys that do uh, little tools with uh, CNC machinery or guys that get very much into uh, 3D printing and they start a side business doing 3D printed parts. There's a lot you can do, especially these days. So my, my oldest son, he likes programming. He's very much into programming. Yeah, that's not only a, a good way of earning a living. That's something that you can do from anywhere. Yeah. You know? That's a huge advance. And I, I really encourage him to... Go uh, on that and, and keep working towards that because it's it, it's a fantastic resource that can be uh, a skill for the rest of his life. And, and there's so many resources out there on the internet that can help you learn. I mean, that's one thing that we do as well. Even with elementary kids, is going to code.org and and you know working and learning how to start small with scratch and and programming that way. And so there's just so many ways that people can. Even teach themselves, even if they're older. You know, one of the things that I know we've gone really, really long here. One of one of the things that um, I hear all the time, and I don't know if you hear it, is from older preppers like Todd. I'm I'm older. I'm retired. 
we don't have money what can we do and i'm always like no you can there's things that you can do yeah. to you know to uh like you talked about reinvent yourself there's side businesses that you can do even running you if you have a lap you have a laptop or a computer because you're emailing me so i know that you're on the internet there's things yeah, that you can yeah. do right and uh, so many free things out there but there's, so. a, there's a ton of things that, that you can do and again i want to insist on this don't don't let the the TV or the ads on the internet or whatever, or, or even, you know, sometimes these messages are spread through movies, this idea that you, yeah, you're 18 years old, you have to get yourself a, a $100,000 debt because that's the way life is. No, no, it's not. No, I mean, that's if you choose to do that, you know, but you don't have to do that. It's, um, maybe it's not what you want to do as, as you, as the first thing you do in life as an adult is, get a huge debt on your back, it's gonna be crushing you. Uh, so be creative, find, find alternative ways. Look, I was talking before about the, the citizenship thing. Um, if you have, for example, if there's lots of people that have Irish uh, uh, family background, if you get yourself your Irish citizenship, you can study in, in Trinity University in, in Dublin for a fraction of what it costs to study in the United States. That may be a, an alternative. I know that in, in Eastern Europe, there's many, there's plenty of much cheaper colleges as well. So you know, be be creative. Even shop around. Consider it as a as a shopping thing. Uh, I, for example, I wouldn't buy a, a new car and pay the the ticket, the, the the label price. No, I would buy a, a used one and save a ton of money. Use that same mentality when it comes to buying uh, education as well. You know, shop around and find what works for you. That's good. You made, you've given us a lot of great advice today. Uh, it's been a really great interview. How can people connect with you online? Well, there's in my, my YouTube channel, The Modern Survivalist, and my website, themodernsurvivalist.com. I also have my, my Instagram. If you go to either one, easy to find, and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link to, to those in the show notes so people can find you very easily. I don't, I don't even think I've linked to you on Instagram. I, I don't do Instagram very, very much uh, anymore. I've, social media has really kind of, uh, uh, I, I just, I've had a, an issue with it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that myself as well as go. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad with it myself. I, I think that in, in Instagram, I think, I, I think I have like 30 people in Instagram, which is, <laughs> which is kind of, but you know what, Todd, when, when we were talking about before, it doesn't matter if it's one, three, I have it and eventually we'll have more or less or, you know, just, just go for it. Do, do your thing and don't look back. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. All right. Well, uh, Fernando, thank you so much, man, for being on the Prepper Website Podcast. Uh, we will love to have you back sometime in the future. I hope uh, it's been a great interview for you as well. It's been fantastic to talk with you, Todd, and whenever you want, we, we can most definitely do it again. All right. Thank you. All right. So, wow, right? There's so much great information there and uh, a lot of great advice from Fernando. I, I'm so appreciative that he took the time to come onto the podcast and, and talk to us a little bit about preparedness and from all of his experiences that he's had and his different insights. And so he really comes at it from that real practical standpoint. And, and I do appreciate that. So, uh, guys, like I said in the episode, 
I, I link to all his books, including his brand new one that you need to go take a look at because it, it really is a really neat book, a lot of great information there. I've also linked to his YouTube channel. If you've never gone over there to, to uh, check out his, his videos, you can subscribe, you can check him out. Uh, I've also linked to his website and also to his Instagram if you want to connect with him over there on Instagram. So uh, again, thanks so much, Fernando, for coming on and uh, definitely going to have you on again real, real soon. Well, guys, that's it for episode 603. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or you can search for us in your podcast catcher just search prepper website podcast and you can find us you subscribe and that way you never miss another episode of sweet prepper goodness hey and don't forget to take a moment to connect with me i have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes but the main one is the prepper website email list i'd love for you to go over there and be a part of that and don't forget to head on over to prepperwebsite.com if you're looking for more preparedness information we have a lot of great articles every single day posted for you, along with um, pages that are dedicated to homesteading, to frugal living, to firearms, to alternative news, all of that good stuff over there at PrepperWebsite.com. So if you're ever looking for great information, you can head on over there as well. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.